If you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Ooh, this is a good one. Uh, my, my intuition goes towards Steve Jobs. Very cliche answer, but he, he definitely is an idol for me and, and a lot of the folks at, at Very. And I think if you look at our product, you could definitely see a lot of the influence there. So I'd, I'd love to talk with Steve. Welcome to season two of Altier Stories. My name is Alexi, and I'm here with my co-host Hilla. You will hear more stories from setbacks to victories and everything in between. This season, our guests include both Altoyes alumni as well as other inspiring people who share an entrepreneurial mindset. Welcome to our podcast and we could start with an introduction. So could you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Werneri. I am an entrepreneur and designer, uh, co-founder and the head of product at Veri. And Veri is a pretty fresh startup here in Helsinki and we help people find the right foods for them. So help them find the foods that make them just feel good and uh, perform at the highest level whether that's at work or, you know, in their athletic activities. Yeah, nice. We can talk about very uh, more later on, but we could start with your uh, background. So could you tell us more about where you grew up and what you studied? Sure, yeah. So I was born in Finland. My parents are both Finnish. And we moved to Texas when I was just two years old. So I've grown up in Texas, did all my school there, uh, went to the University of Texas in Austin and studied mechanical engineering there. But growing up, I I was always the Finnish kid. And I think I had maybe a little bit of an identity crisis where I wasn't sure if I was Finnish or if I was American. You know, culture at home was Finnish, but outside of home, all my friends are Americans and and so on. And so after I graduated from the University of Texas, I decided to come back to Finland. And that was in the fall of 2015. And I, I said that I'd come back to do my either my military service or go to school at Aalto. And I got into Aalto, so that uh, that's how I, I, I came to Finland, studied international business management at Aalto, and then through that path, I've gotten really deep into entre- entrepreneurship and now building uh, my own company with, with some of my best friends. Yeah, so was the like Finnish education level or was that behind the decision to move to Finland and study your master's here? There's, there's a fo- couple things there. I think one thing was Um, one of the summers before I graduated, I was working at AT&T. So AT&T is a, a huge, huge corporation in the U.S. And I thought to myself, there's got to be more to life than just this type of nine to five grind. And then that next summer, I visited Finland over the summer and visited Alto. And there was just something in the air that really resonated with me. And I think Alto specifically meshed well with what I was thinking in terms of being very interdisciplinary, combining business, design, and engineering. I, I knew that I wanted to do something quite broad. I didn't want to be labeled as just a mechanical engineer or 
just as a designer, but I really like the interdisciplinary aspect of Alto. So I think that drew me in. And what about the other way round? How did life in Texas affect your your thinking, for example? Or is there something that uh, Finnish people could get from Americans, like some mindset thing? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's positives and 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 kind of downsides to to both. And there's absolutely things that I like about Texas and the U.S. and things that I like about uh, here in Finland. And ironically, now that I've been living in Finland for five plus years, I actually consider myself much more American than than Finnish. I think before it was hard for me to understand that being American isn't where you're from or what religion you are or what you look like, but being American is more of a mindset. At the end of the day, everybody in America is from somewhere else. And I didn't realize that until after I came here. And so I, I, I associate being American with this kind of go-getter mindset. You know, if there's something wrong, then we do what we can to fix it. And this very like forward thinking, thinking mindset. So there's definitely pros and cons to, to both. And, and I feel very lucky to be in a position where I can kind of uh, draw on both. Yeah, yeah. And I think that go-getter mindset is also something that people in Alto ES have in common. So how did you end up in in Alto ES? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so before I even even touched down, I, I remember Googling Alto University and Entrepreneurship. And Alto ES page came up. I reached out to the president at that time, Julius, emailed him like, hey, you know, how do I get involved? didn't reply <laughs> and I, I followed up with him just probably shot him like three or four emails and finally he said oh hey come to the startup sauna and we have an open meeting so then I come out to the startup sauna and they're talking about the different projects that are going on and one of the projects that they're pitching is is Junction uh, you know the hackathon and there I'm thinking mm, you know like I'm not really into hackathons I'm not I don't really consider myself like the the uh, the super coder type or anything like that but I wanted to get involved and I wanted to make new friends. I didn't know anybody before I moved here and they needed they needed help pretty bad so I, I was happy to help them with Junction. And so I was uh I was I was I was helping with uh recruiting from Europe and we ended up getting quite a few people even to that first Junction event in 2015. So that was a lot of fun. So that's how I I got involved. Yeah. So uh That was 2015, but after that you have done a lot of things under Altius and in the ecosystem. Could you elaborate a b- bit more about those other projects too? Yeah, yeah. So when I first agreed to help out with Junction, I didn't realize how student-driven it was. From my undergrad degree, most people signed up for these entrepreneurship societies as kind of like a checkbox on their resume. But pretty soon after joining Altius, I realized like, hey, you know, the university pretty much ha- doesn't have their hands involved with this at all. Like this is literally, you know, these kids that are at this table that are making this happen. And that first junction already was a huge production with 500 people at the event and, you know, booking out huge event spaces. And I was just really impressed by the the attitude that the team had. And I just knew I wanted to be more and more involved with that mentality and, and those folks. And so then when talks about 
gathering the team for 2016 started appearing. I was happy to be involved there and there was nobody to lead the marketing. And at this point, I'd, I'd never done marketing or anything related to that. Maybe took the basics in marketing in my undergrad, but I saw it as a good opportunity to learn a lot about marketing. And I, I saw the value in understanding marketing at a fundamental level. So then I took the, the head of marketing position for Junction in 2016. Yeah. And uh, eventually became a board member in 2017. So what uh, made you apply for the board position or how did you end up in the board? Sure, yeah. So then, you know, 2016 with Junction, that was fun, that was great. But then in the back of my head, I was still thinking, hey, entrepreneurship is, is the real thing. And it's fun to build projects over the weekend. But if that's as far as it goes, then you know, I, I want to do more than that. I want to I want to help people take these projects from the weekend and actually turn that into something that is going to end up helping people or being something a little bit bigger. And that resonated with with quite a few different people at the time. And then uh, now my my dearest friend Anthony rallied up the gang and and pitched pitched the idea of joining the board for 2017. And I really loved his energy and really loved the the vision that he had for the team that he wanted to bring together. And at that point, I, I just couldn't say no. Is there some like really memorable thing that happened, for example, during your board year or during the Altaïs years? <laughs> yeah, there's too many to recall. There's way too many to recall. What do you feel like are the most valuable things that you are, you have learned under Altaïs? I think the, the biggest lessons definitely revolve around people. So. In 2017, we we knew that we wanted the year to be about helping more students start startups, and Giwas ended up being the the manifestation of that. But in the beginning, you're just it's just ideas, and you're also working with very limited resources. So it's a lot of ideas, a lot of vision, but then the 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 execution part is like the hard part, and you can't do everything you know, by yourself. You learn that pretty quickly. And so it becomes much more about how do, we, how, do we get a, how do we build a movement? How do we get everybody going in that same direction? And how do we make this an environment where anybody can get involved and feel like they're getting value out of that experience of pushing this like, movement forward? And so when, when, when the task is to basically get a lot of people involved into the project without a salary, then you know how do you convince those people to to join and how do you make it also worth their while and in that process you you learn a lot about make like what motivates people how do they get value and and i think i think somewhere in there are like definitely the biggest lessons that i took home with me yeah and you mentioned kiosks do all our uh, listeners might not be familiar with kiosks uh, quick description about yeah so kiosks started out as a student accelerator, so focused on helping students build projects that would then turn into startups. And fortunately now, uh, in the last few years, Kiwis has grown into the leading accelerator in, in Finland. Okay, well, uh, moving on. So what did you do after your Altaïs years? Did you do an internship or your write your thesis for Aura? Yes, there, there's one step in between there that I'll touch okay. up on. <laughs> so, 
I think that whole year, once you kind of get towards the summer and you realize that, hey, this this uh, Altius year is going to come to an end, you start thinking about, okay, what comes after? And quite naturally, like I was, you know, I was thinking, hey, out of out of this team, like I'd love to keep, you know, working with the entire team, right? But um, def- especially with Anthony, we we were jiving really well, and we got an opportunity to explore expanding Kiwis to China. We didn't want to go back to school. We didn't go- want to go back to work anywhere. So that was a, a really golden opportunity for us. So that's what we then did right after the Altius year, and we we ended up going to to China for about six months. And yeah, we were just hustling out there, trying to build build like a Kiwis satellite there which uh, didn't end up working out, but uh, it was a really valuable experience as well. What made you do the decision to expand Kiwas to China? What was the background of that? Yeah, that year we realized that the startup ecosystem and LTS here had quite a lot of connections to the U.S. and specifically like to the West Coast and the U.S. But we, we saw a lot of growth happening in the Far East and realized that there's not that many bridges over there. That was kind of the narrative that we we started building upon, just expanding the Altuyas network to China. Were there like big challenges regarding that expansion? <laughs> yeah, I mean, language, just culture, the way of doing business. Yeah, a lot of challenges. Yeah. And was it hard making the decision not to just keep going with it? Or like, do you have any tips for somebody who's trying out a new idea? that when do they know that this is not working out? Yeah, absolutely. This 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 was a huge, huge lesson. So when we were in China and we we couldn't secure the funding that we were really counting on, and it seemed like it was going to require a lot more commitment from our end. So originally we're, our goal was to secure the funding from the the local government in, in China for the project. And when we didn't close that in in that kind of six month window, we realized, hey, this is going to require way more. Like we're going to have to commit to maybe another year, could be another two years. And at that point, that equation just didn't make sense for us anymore. And so the hard lesson in that was that the Kiwis China didn't fail, so to speak. Like we could have made it happen if we would if we were ready to pay that price, if we were ready to commit to it for another few years. But we just knew it in our hearts that that wasn't the ultimate mission for us. And so we quit. So that's why that's why it didn't work out. And from from those ashes, I remember we were <laughs> we we climbed up to the to the rooftop of the building that we were on, and we were just walking circles there and just playing out the different scenarios. You know, do we keep going? Do we not keep going? You know, how do we play this out? What you know, what do we do? And that's that's really what it came down to is that our personal motivations weren't high enough to really make it happen. And I I think there's a saying that goes that no startup actually fails like ultimately it fails when the founders quit and i i do think that that is true and so from those ashes that's when like the the seeds of our current company uh, were planted i'd say so then you came back to finland and what did you do after that yeah so already in china actually i had this light bulb moment where it was probably two or three a.m and i was reading medical literature And I asked myself, like, what what am I doing? Why am I up reading, you know, medical literature when I've got stuff to do the next morning? And so quick, quick backstory here is that when I was younger, I had a lot of problems with my health. When I was 14, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And that's basically where your your immune system attacks your 
large intestine. And I had a lot of complications with that where the medicines they would give me a reoccurring pancreatitis. And your pancreas is a pretty important like organ. You can't really live without it. So it was, it was quite scary times when I was younger. And up until that point in China, I think I'd always shied away from that, wanted to ignore that, wanted to not believe that I have this condition. But in China, I realized like, hey, you know, this has been a really powerful experience and I need to leverage this towards the next venture. I really need to lean into this and use this as motivation and fuel for the next thing. And that's when it kind of started clicking that, hey, something in the health space would be something that I would be willing to dedicate the rest of my life for. We, 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 we were actually reading a book uh, in China called 10% Human that talks a lot about the microbiome, so all the bacteria that the human has in the intestines. And uh, I read the book, and then Anthony read the book, and we, we then just kind of started brainstorming more and more about that idea. And, and we both kind of then came towards this thought of health and uh, preventative medicine, both from our from from like our own angles. I'll I'll, I'll let uh, Anthony come to the podcast at some point and tell his kind of side of the story. Yeah, but, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that those those kind of like thoughts we had already in China, and then uh, when we came back to Finland, it was a good chance for us to finish up school. I I just had my master's thesis left, and um, with with this new kind of inspiration towards health, I asked myself, well, what what are the t- hot startups in the health space that are in Finland. And fortunately, um, we, we actually even had a member, the CTO of Aura, on our advisory board in 2017, So I, I uh, reached out to him and, and did my best to sell him on, on uh, doing my, my thesis with him. And it took a little bit of iteration, but um, after a while, I, <laughs> I convinced them to you know, let me come join the team and, and uh, work on a thesis with them. What was the theme of your thesis? Yeah, the theme was persuasive design. So how do you design user experiences to guide people towards behaviors and, and habits that are actually beneficial to them? So it was a very like UX and psychology kind of heavy thesis. You had the idea that you wanted to work with health, but how was the transition to founding your own company? Yeah, it's it's actually a a pretty incremental thing. I think maybe maybe sometimes it on the outside it can feel like it's a leap of faith, but really it was the culmination of many 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 little things that led ultimately to the found, founding of the company. You know, I was with Aura working on my thesis and Anthony actually joined Meru Health. He did some web work with them and marketing related stuff. And at that same time we were both we both knew that we wanted to start a company together. And so we were just trying out different products in the, the health tech space. So we were trying out microbiome tests, DNA tests, you know, obviously the Apple Watches, Fitbits, smart scales. And then we came across blood sugar monitors. And at that point, you know, we'd probably listened to hundreds, if not thousands of different podcasts and done a lot of research on just the overall physiology of the human body. And when we tried the glucose sensors, you know, we, it, it was a pretty magical experience. We knew how powerful of a metric glucose is. And, you know, we, we just saw so much opportunity there because the software and the hardware at that point had been designed purely for the diabetic use case. But knowing what we knew about glucose, 
even the, the, the average Joe can benefit from that info. So then we, we just started playing around with that idea and moving that forward and thinking and pondering how could we create value around these you know, glucose sensors. And so then in 2019 it was, we flew out to California for the summer and our goal was just to meet interesting people and hopefully launch well, not hopefully. We knew we were going to launch something. We just didn't know what it, what it was. And try to like get our first users and really actually do this thing for real. What do you feel are the biggest things that had an impact on you while in America, in California during that summer? Were you just working on your idea? or? Yeah, so <laughs> maybe it'll help if I'll share a little bit more of what, we, what, what the kind of first steps is that we did. So I think this was within the week of, of landing. We we just put out a landing page and the landing page was basically promised that you would get a continuous glucose monitor. And what we did in, on the back end is we ordered them from online pharmacies in Canada and we then you know, shipped them out to the people. And on top of that, we sold basically guidance and the guidance was with blood sugar experts and the blood sugar experts were, were us. And so we, with each person that bought the product would get the sensor, and then we would have three video calls with them. And on these video calls, we would explain the, you know, the, the sensor to them, explain how to put it on, and share what kind of insights they could expect to get out of it. P- point being is that um, it, was, it was really valuable for us to basically get paid to do customer research. So we, we had a lot of face time with these first users, and through those, you know, hundreds of video calls, we started to realize like, oh, okay, here's why people are using this. Here's the type of person that's using this. And this is the objective. Here's the, the obstacles that they see with the current, you know, version. And so in a way, we, we kind of started out by using a competing product and then learning about it and trying to understand how we could actually make it better. So probably the biggest lessons, hands down, came from just talking to some of those first early users. How does the American market differ in the health tech field compared to the Finnish one? Is it more advanced or is there more demand in the American market? Or Yeah, the market is definitely different. I think the healthcare system in the U.S. just doesn't serve Americans as well as the, the healthcare system here in Finland serves Finnish people. So in the U.S., there is this growing trend of more and more people wanting to take more responsibility for their own health. And that's definitely the trend that we're kind of joining as well. We want to help people empower themselves to not just forfeit that responsibility to a third party like a doctor, but to be involved and to be aware of that process, to understand what's happening and to really know how to start improving that health. So can you talk a little bit more about the the product or the service that you're offering? What exactly can the user get out of it and what information do they get? Sure. So Vary is a blood sugar sensor paired with a app. And we don't manufacture the blood sugar sensors ourselves. We use existing sensors on the market but our value add is on the software side. So we take the data that the sensor outputs and we basically help you find the signal in that data and get rid of all the noise. 
And so concretely what that means is a person can wear the sensor and then log different meals in the app and they can see how their body responds to the different meals. And what's pretty surprising is that foods that you might think that are good for you may actually be causing huge blood sugar spikes for you. And foods that you think may not be good for you are actually, at least blood sugar wise, better for you. And after a while of tracking this and seeing how your body res responds to different foods, you can actually start pairing the blood sugar graphs with how you feel. And so after a while, the, the game essentially becomes, how do I eat in a way that my blood sugar stays as stable as possible? And from that stable blood sugar, that's when you really just start to have more energy, start to have more mental clarity. And there's a really long you know, laundry list of long-term benefits as well. Sounds good. Have there been any obstacles on the way or like the biggest obstacles that you've had? With any startup, there's there's tons of different obstacles. I'm trying to think, what would be the biggest one? I think one one that's that may be relevant, um, and probably a lot of folks that are considering startups can identify with is is competition. So when we started out, there was no products in the blood sugaring for non-diabetic space, and now as we've progressed, there is there's a lot of competition that's popping up. And at first, that competition can be like really scary. But um, now, as, as we've evolved with the venture, we've gotten very comfortable with that. And there's, there's this growing process like, that's involved with that. But ultimately, like, it comes down to realizing that you know, everybody, everybody in this market is on that same mission of helping people become you know, healthier and metabolically healthier. And now we've kind of found our own own angle from which to approach this market. But, you know, when that competition comes, like it can be a little bit scary. But is it a good thing that there's competition or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, th I think it's definitely a good thing. So when we started out, um, we didn't know if there really was a market at all. And that's the last thing you want to be doing is building a product for a market that doesn't exist. So in hindsight, and, and thankfully, like we realized this pretty quickly is that as there's more competition you know, popping up, this just proves that there is a market here and there is a product to be built. So that actually gave us a lot more confidence to invest more in growing our team. And because of that competition, we've actually been able to push our entire product and our company forward way, way faster. So it's definitely been a, a blessing in disguise. And what have been the most rewarding things while building your company? It's definitely the people. It's it's absolutely the people. It's such a cool feeling to have, you know, now we're a, a team of nine and to see see how excited and happy everybody is to come to work. Like that is, that's something that I don't think should be taken for granted. And it's such a cool feeling to be able to create an environment where, you know, people are happy to come to work. Yeah. Which point is your product and company in general now that you have been working one and a half year for now yeah the product is it's like 80 percent of the way there um it's it's never going to be a hundred percent but a lot of the the kind of core value you can already get from the product and up to date now we've had i think we might be crossing the 1000 user mark 
um, any week now. Team is slowly growing. We've got nine people now, and we we're we're planning to hire a lot more people this year. And otherwise, we're still on wait list, so we're not publicly yet selling the product. And um, that's been kind of like a strategic move that allows us to be much more iterative with our pricing model, also our value proposition. How do we communicate about the product? A lot of things like that we're still uh, trying to figure out, and hopefully we'll get those in pretty good condition to go off the wait list and launch probably towards the end of the summer. You t- told earlier that like you had had issues with your health and health was an important topic for you. So you knew that you wanted to do something around that. So if somebody else has an idea or some important theme for them, what would be your tips on how to proceed from that, like coming up with a, a startup or a company? It's cliche, but I think it comes down to not being afraid to fail. So just trying different things, just throwing yourself out there, not being afraid of what other people think. When we started, we had so many very highly credible people tell us that this was a silly idea and there's, you know, there's so many reasons why this wouldn't work, right? And it hurts to hear that, but that's something that you kind of just have to be okay with. And so I'd say just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Do you feel like being in all two years and uh, working on your thesis in Aura has helped you on the way be- while building your company? 110%. I definitely would not be here without uh, my experiences in, in LTS. Yeah. At which point did you like, feel that you wanted to become an entrepreneur? Was it when you were young or when was the epiphany moment? I think if I look back, there's signs from when I was already a kid. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I would I would make drawings and I would trade those with my classmates. Then when I got a little bit older, I'd actually made 3D printed jewelry that I, I'd sell online. So I had different hustles where I've been making you know small amounts of money online. But I think that it probably wasn't until I, I came to Finland and, and joined LTS where that kind of underlying passion or that underlying feeling found a very practical and concrete way to, to manifest, if that makes sense. So once I joined Altius, then it was like, that. yeah, there's no going back to, to kind of the regular nine to five. Yeah. Which skills have been the most beneficial while working on your own startup? People skills people skills and, and I'd say empathy. So empathy and, and understanding different stakeholders, whether that's a partnership that you're trying to create, whether that's an employee that you're working with, whether that's a freelancer that you're working with, or whether whether it's the product that you're designing. You know, you have to have a lot of empathy for that user and really be able to put yourself in that person's shoes and think, you know, how would this person want this to be? You know, do they want to have it be this way or that way. And that that's a lot of work. It's it, it can be exhausting to do that, but it definitely will pay dividends. And do those skills come from school, RDBM or Altius, or where have you developed those? Yeah, I'm not sure if those, those skills can be taught, so to say, but I think it's a culmination, again, of many, many little things. So 
over time as you throw yourself out there and put yourself in uncomfortable situations, you start to, to realize different patterns and you start to realize that, hey, by creating win-win situations and having empathy and building frameworks where we all benefit, then that's like just the fastest way forward. I think over time, you just start to realize that. At the moment, you're probably like working 100% on Veri, but do you have other dreams for the future or are you planning on doing, I don't know, coming up with other startups? Yeah, great question. My dream is to build a wellness empire. So any product that relates to helping people feel good, um, I'm really passionate about. So there's there's a lot of spaces that I'm looking at right now. Cannabis is actually one, I think, that it's just a matter of time until that becomes uh, mainstream, even in, in, in Finland. Mental health is huge. Anything with good design and, and uh, health. What do you think about the side of technology as there's so much stimulation around us and how it affects our mental health or like how can mental health and technology be kind of combined in the future or like what's the the balance with that yeah this is a great question and and really really timely i think i i actually tweeted about this a few days ago but as a product designer i think that creating a product that wastes people's time is a sin. And so it's tough, though, because a lot of the digital products that we use are built on a business model of monetizing your attention, right? And so there's no simple answers there, but I think it's 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 going to be very interesting to see how technology and how government play together in the next 10 years to find something that works for everybody. I, I think there's a lot that could be done in in, in that space of, of making technology more friendly for people. A philosophy that we have with our product is that we don't want to make people neurotic trackers, for instance. So we don't want to make people addicted to the product. Like we want people to get the value and then get out you know, if they're not getting any more value out of it, right? But doing that is, is really tough, and it's not necessarily always the best for the business in the short term, but I think long term, I'd like to think that it is. Yeah. Which aspects do you believe that secure a successful company? Ooh. I think there's probably a lot of ways to build a successful company, and by giving an answer, I think I might even be doing a disservice to people because ultimately each company is their own company and the company is, is in a lot of ways a manifestation of the strengths and weaknesses of the founders themselves. So probably the best answer to that is you have to know yourself and then lean into your own strengths and build a company around that. What kind of philosophy does your company follow if you consider the building part of the company? I think a lot of the things we've been touching on here already. So people coming first, we, we believe that happy people make, you know, good products. Um, that's one. Another one that, that um, we really resonate with is believing in magic. So I think the the world is is maybe even in a stage where a lot of people are taking things very literally and very concretely it can be very dangerous because you can you don't you don't know what you don't know and so it's important to 
in anything that you're doing to account for the fact that some things we just can't explain. And I think there's this, this one really good quote that says that magic is just undiscovered science, right? That's really deep in our, in our philosophy of building things. And the way that manifests is that we try to put ourselves in a position regarding product, regarding our team, regarding our marketing, regarding everything where there's room for magic to happen, where we can't calculate it beautifully ahead of time. We can't sit at the, the whiteboard and draw out this master plan and expect it to happen exactly like how we drew it out. But we can expect to kind of go in this direction, this feels right, go in that direction, this feels good. A lot of times like magic ends up happening. <laughs> and that's like the really the, the most exciting um, thing I think about building startups. Yeah, that was very, very well put. Believing in the thoughts of magic and building upon that, yeah. What are like some things that you do or like some concrete things that you do before you kind of wait for the magic to happen? Are there some steps that you took along the way while building your company? How did you know what to do? Mm. How do we know what to do? It's really small steps, really small steps, like one at a time. And then, you know, from the outside, you don't see those steps. You only see the big milestones. But behind any successful company or really any successful endeavor in life at all, whether it be pro athlete or whatever, you know, there is just, it's, it's just, you know, one step at a time. And if you get stuck, if you can't take that next step, then that step is probably a little bit too big. Break it down and into smaller steps and then start again. And that's what it's really ha has been. It's just been one kind of step forward at a time and not uh, worrying too much about the following steps and, and trusting that the next steps will reveal themselves once I you know take this next step first. Uh, is there some kind of resource, I don't know, a favorite book or a podcast or something you like like to listen to or read or get back to that inspires you or something? Good question. Some really good podcasts I've li listened to over the years. NPR's How I Built This. That's a really good one. Jason Calacanis has a really good startup podcast. He's a pretty funny guy. And then there's a, a pretty long list of like health-related podcasts that I listen to here and there. What are some examples if somebody's interested in health? HVMN has a pretty good one. Dr. Molly Malouf is one, Peter Atia, uh, that's just to, to name a few. Yeah, a nice list of recommendations. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, Bernari. It was a pleasure. Absolutely, thank you so much. Really, really cool to, to connect with you guys and uh, be back at the start of Sana. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.